you are listening to Why Can't We Have It All, a podcast focused on exploring the missing pieces in our healthcare system. This podcast is sponsored by Bowtie Medical, an innovative healthcare company that offers integrated virtual healthcare designed to keep you in control of your health and what you spend on it while lowering the cost of healthcare for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast, Why Can't We Have It All? I'm your host, Dr. Donish Geary. As we know by now, most of the states have issued orders or guidelines for reopening of businesses and other social activities uh, that were shut down during the outbreak of COVID-19 in March, May of 2020. However, the missing piece uh, from this uh, stage of the pandemic is a clear roadmap uh, that would allow businesses, uh, communities, and corporations contain and control the exposure, immunity, and march toward the achievement of the ideal goal of uh, herd immunity, and therefore reduce the business and financial and social impact of this pandemic on our lives. Let me explain and explore this missing uh, piece. Public health experts tell us that uh, COVID-19 pandemic can be contained by either A, herd immunity, or B, an effective vaccine against SARS-CoV-2. The question is, how could we achieve one or both of those containment strategies. The herd immunity uh, happens when most of the population is immune to an infectious disease. This provides indirect protection or herd immunity, also called herd protection, to those who are not immune to the disease. For example, if 80% of the population is immune to a virus, four out of every five people who encounter someone with the disease won't get sick and won't spread the disease any further. In this way, the spread of infectious disease is kept under control. Depending on how contagious an infection is, usually 70 to 90% of a population needs immunity to achieve that herd immunity. Measles, mumps, polio, and chickenpox are examples of infectious diseases that were once very common, but are now rare in the US and part of the uh, civilized world because vaccines help to establish herd immunity. We sometimes see outbreaks of vaccine-preventable diseases in communities with lower vaccine coverage because they don't have herd protection. The 2019 measles outbreak at Disneyland in the U.S. is an example of that. For infections without a vaccine, even if many adults have developed immunity because of prior infections, the disease can still circulate among children and can still infect those with uh, weakened immune systems. This was seen for many of the before-mentioned diseases before vaccines were developed. Other viruses like flu mutate over time and they're called seasonal viruses. So the antibodies from a previous infection provide protection for only a part of the time. For the flu, this is less than a year. 
So if SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, is like other uh, coronaviruses uh, that currently infect humans, we can expect that people who get infected will be immune for months to years, but probably not their entire lives. The key question about vaccination is when could we have a vaccine that is effective against SARS-CoV-2? More than 100 possible vaccines are in various stages of uh, development around the world, according to the World Health Organization. Some have begun human clinical trials, uh, but certain things can be rushed, uh, and vaccine is one of them, or development of the vaccine. Like, we don't know or we can't rush how long it will take a person's immune system to respond to a vaccine, or the way to check the side effects, uh, potential side effects from a vaccine. Even when researchers find a vaccine that works against the new uh, virus, it could be at least 12 to 18 months at best before it is ready for the uh, public or to be offered to the public. And that is only a fraction of the usual time that takes for uh, other vaccines. Before any vaccine can be used widely, it must go through various stages of development and validity checked and testing to make sure that it's effective against the virus or the bacteria, it won't cause other problems, and it could uh, create a reasonable level of immunity among the general public because not all of our health are at the same level. Uh, some of us respond better, some of us don't. Uh, and therefore, those stages need to be worked out before the vaccine against SARS-CoV-2 uh, could be offered to the public. Further, the issue of production, distribution, and who would pay for the vaccine all needs to be sorted out. In short, we may not have an easy access to effective vaccination until mid to late 2021. At the same time, uh, the issue of undocumented infection uh, needs to be sorted out. As the data from around the world and the US indicate that a large portion of people who are exposed to the virus never develop the symptoms or their symptoms are so mild that it goes undocumented. In some of the reports and communities, uh, the proportion of this undocumented infection could be more than half of uh, the infected people. So having reviewed this key uh, scientific component uh, related to COVID-19, including the issue of herd immunity, uh, the timing of the vaccination, and the high a portion of undocumented infection. The question is how we should use this information uh, and the insight in the view of availability of the tools we have, including the testing, uh, testing both for the antigen or virus or the testing for detection of the antibodies, uh, toward the goal of having a sustainable open businesses and social activities without risking another outbreak and the
the financial and social impacts of the outbreak on our activities again. That is the biggest missing part from this phase of reopening of our societies. So there's no question that the exposure to the virus will continue and the prevalence uh, of the exposure will continue to grow. Therefore, as a part of our march toward that herd immunity, and partially in preparation for vaccination and finding out who would need it and who would not need it, it seems to me that we need to know who's immune and who's not at every community or a workplace. Again, given the high proportion of undocumented infected uh, people in each community or workplace, the question is, what is that herd immunity or when do we reach to the threshold of that herd immunity? Or what is the true prevalence of the exposure in our communities and workplaces? If we don't equip our communities with this knowledge, we will be in the same position, I'm afraid, that we were in January of 2020 and would have no choice but to react to unavoidable emergence of new cases of uh, COVID-19 by either shutting down or other reactive instead of proactive measures to prevent the damages from a potential second wave of pandemic. As you know, uh, some of the experts have referred to the Spanish flu of 1917 as a model uh, for this pandemic. Uh, it came exactly in three waves, very similar in timetable uh, to how the COVID-19 has played out. Uh, the first wave started in the spring of 1918, uh, the second wave in the summer in August 19, 1918, and the third wave in the winter. Unfortunately, the highest mortality in the Spanish flu was from the second wave in the summer. Of course, at that point, we did not have the knowledge or ability to produce vaccines and uh, many other technological and medical advantages that we have today. However, it seems that this important point uh, may have been lost in some of its uh, translation of some of the guidelines that have come out from the Center for Disease Control uh, to the public. The CDC uh, issued an interim guidelines in uh, late May, through which they stated that antibodies most commonly become detectable one to three weeks after symptoms onset, at which time evidence suggests that infectiousness is greatly decreased and that some degree of immunity from future infection has been developed. However, additional data are needed before modifying public health recommendation, end of the quote. The additional data must include the prevalence of exposure in our communities. Again, given the high prevalence of undocumented infection, we must know the true prevalence in the communities rather than guessing it. And understanding the durability of immunity that has been gained from those exposures. 
both of these pieces of information, the prevalence and durability of immunity, could be obtained by broad and aggressive antibody testing as it was done in South Korea very successfully. However, the effort to obtain additional information and this communication from CDC has been somehow mistranslated or been slowed due to the misrepresentation of the guidelines by lay media. Many articles and online pieces have come out suggesting the unreliability of antibody tests for SARS-CoV-2. These articles have created confusion, impertinent fears, and more unknowns about this pandemic. Whereas the FDA and its staff have been working very hard to review and validate the rates of false positives and false negatives in the antibody tests that have been introduced to the U.S. market and have issued what is called the Emergency Use Authorizations, EUA, to those products, to those tests, meeting the FDA's standards. The confusing message is rooted in difficulty of communicating in a statistical relationship that was presented in the CDC's communication that exists between the prevalence of a disease and the ability of a test to accurately detect that disease. That relationship is called a positive predictive value. But somehow that message was translated as uh, an indication for unreliability of the antibody test, the same tests that have received emergency use authorizations from the FDA uh, with the highest specificity and uh, high sensitivity rates. The message that I would like to communicate is that the fact that until and when we know the prevalence of COVID-19 in our communities and in our workplaces and therefore in our nation, we cannot judge the predictive value of any test in diagnosis of that disease based on that statistical relationship. The antibody tests for SARS-CoV-2 are used to detect, according to CDC, quote, some degree of immunity from future infections, end of the quote and not the diagnosis of COVID-19 single-handedly. In addition, because of the duration of the antibody response to SARS-CoV-2 is unknown at this time, at least, and because of the high proportion of undocumented exposure to the virus, an argument can be made that widespread antibody testing for the presence of responses of exposed people, the presence of antibodies, with the easy-to-use rapid flow tests. These are the tests that very much like the diabetics do. You uh, stick the fingertip and drop a, one drop of the blood on the cassette, and you add the buffer to it, and it shows whether you have the antibodies against uh, SARS-CoV-2, will actually give us the best chance to establish the prevalence of exposure to the virus in our communities, in our workplaces, and hopefully in our nation. Again, the FDA has taken a leadership role in reviewing and issuing uh, emergency use authorizations for those rapid flow tests meeting the FDA's standards. 
that they have reasonable, acceptable specificity and sensitivities. Availability of this point-of-care test, this rapid flow test, will allow for detection of antibodies at the time, at the time of testing, and repetition of the test would allow us to know the durability of the presence of the antibodies much more accurately than just guessing. I propose that discovery of such valuable information in every community, the fact that how many of us have antibodies against the virus and how long the antibodies are present, is perhaps our next best step and hope for establishment of the prevalence and durability of the antibodies uh, presence in our communities or the individual's immune response to the uh, SARS-CoV-2, and thus it would help us define our trajectory toward the desired level of herd immunity and help define the portion of the community that may benefit from an effective vaccine. I would propose that this is a unique and historical opportunity for businesses to really hit two birds with one stone, test their workers and perhaps their family members for immunity, and in the process, help the communities surrounding these businesses to establish the prevalence of COVID-19 and therefore allow us to better understand the role of the test, any test, including antibody tests, in their ability to predict the disease. So these are the uh, rings of the same chain that will connect us from now where we are toward the goal of having achieved and herd immunity and to the vaccination. The two goals that the public health experts tell us will allow us to contain uh, this nasty virus that has affected our lives. So at this part of the podcast, I'd like to listen to an interview I recently did uh, with one of the employers and community leaders who really put this uh, scientific discussion uh, into practical terms for us. Let's take a listen. Um, with me today, I have uh, Dan Olson uh, 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 from a an uh, employer, a large employer here in our neighborhood. And I want to thank Dan for joining us uh, for this interview. Uh, as uh, Dan's company has uh, taken the leadership role in uh, doing the testing for all of its uh, uh, employees. Uh, so, Dan, I'm Dr. Don Ishkiri. I'm the host of the podcast. Uh, thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. Good to be here. Um, that, could you introduce yourself in terms of uh, your position? Tell us a little bit about your company, uh, the number of employees, if you will, or the location where you, uh, your company works uh, both uh, independently and in collaboration with other companies. Tell us a little bit and our audience about your company, please. Sure. I'm a regional director for Jan King of Cleveland. We're uh, 30-year-old uh, master franchiser here in the greater Cleveland area, Northeast Ohio. And we exist to support uh, roughly 200 individual franchisees that do uh, the daily cleaning work that our company specializes in. So we're, we're technically a regional support center here in Broadview Heights, Ohio. 
uh, staff of about 25 people. And our job is to literally help them get into business and stay into business. So we're the support uh, arm behind the scenes of those doing the cleaning work. Excellent. Uh, how are you affected by the COVID-19 pandemic? Uh, significantly. It, 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 it's, we were in the unique, unique position where um, we lost several major accounts, people that literally closed their doors, uh, some permanently, some temporarily, and they're starting to come back. Um, so we took a big hit there. Um, conversely, we had certain clients, uh, many of them in the medical arena, as you can imagine, um, come to us and ask for extra services during, during this time. Uh, didn't completely make up for the revenue losses, but it sure, it sure helped. So we, we really were a feast or famine type of um, business for the last uh, several months. Excellent. So, uh, Dan, how did or why did you decide to sponsor testing of your employees? You know, being a critical business, we, we never closed. We were deemed critical. So we, we literally, it was business as usual for us. We were in and out of um, many different types of buildings, um, some with confirmed cases in them. And we just thought it was prudent to, um, you know, if the test was available, which it was, we thought it was a great opportunity to gather more information, uh, learn, learn as much as we could about um, how we were doing as a group, because you really don't know if you've been exposed or not. So we just thought it was a really good opportunity to um, gather more data and see how we're, we were doing as a, as a company. Uh, very interesting. So at this stage, you have completed the testing of your employees. So you know that base knowledge, uh, what I call the, uh, the working space prevalence. You have a base, you know who is, uh, has antibody. And as you know, the Center for Disease Control states that the presence of the antibodies, the IgE, basically shows that uh, you currently are immune. Of course, the shortcoming of our knowledge about the COVID-19 is we don't know how long this immunity would last. But nevertheless, knowing who is immune, I assume would help you to know, uh, God forbid, and if a, another outbreak breaks, who is, uh, who is maybe on the safer side and you could continue uh, some of your business with those people. But could you share with me your thoughts on uh, knowing that now who is immune among your employees or your workplace would help you to uh, uh, react more based on evidence and information during the next stage of the pandemic. So not to be reactive like we were in January and February. Sure, and, and I guess it is kind of rolled back up in that just the knowledge base you can have it before you, uh, what we now know, we didn't know before the test. Um, as we get into the fall months, if, if the uh, outbreak spikes again, we'll know which people have been where, uh, who would probably be more suited to go into certain industries or certain building types. Well, it will also help us internally because we, we did a really good job, I think, of um, kind of flexing people's hours so we weren't all here at the same time. And we can use that data to even manage our internal operation, uh, all in the you know, with the goal of being safe and keeping everybody as healthy as we possibly can. So it's just another platform and another chunk of knowledge to have it in hand. Um, and I guess another side, we're getting lots of questions from clients and they're wanting to know what we're doing to keep them safe, you know, the people that are entering their buildings. Exactly. So we're, we're really in the crosshairs right now um, from our client side because they want to, you know, we're getting questions we've never received before. Uh, we used to be just the cleaning company. Now it's 
Uh, lots of questions about uh, are you bringing in new equipment versus used equipment? Um, awesome. How are you making sure that you're not cross-contaminating between buildings? So people are suddenly asking lots of questions that in 30 years we never received. Awesome. Very good. Uh, so based on this concept, uh, I'm going to ask the last question that I have. Is, would you recommend this antibody testing to your fellow employers? Absolutely. Um, again, I think depending on what your, your, um, your core business is and where you see the, the threat levels, both inside and outside of your workplace, um, it's, just, it, it's a great tool to have to, to learn as much as you can and uh, be as prepared as you can for whatever does lie ahead in the coming months because we don't really know. Um, there's lots of theories out there as you, you know, there's, there's things that we, there's supposition and we don't, don't know the timing on that vaccine. So we just are trying to arm ourselves with as much information as we can. So regardless of what comes our way in the coming months, we're as prepared as we can be to react to it. As you heard from this interview, the employers need to develop evidence-based strategies on how to keep their businesses open in view of future threats from the virus and how to adapt to the changing landscape of servicing their clients and their needs. So the next issue is how the employers could use the results of antibody testing toward development and effective HR policy, human resources policy that is aligned uh, with their strategies. I propose that the employers would need uh, the following information uh, to gather toward the evidence they need to come up with their uh, policies. A, immune employees. By doing the antibody testing, that would allow them to know who has been exposed and who currently has antibody and therefore is immune based on the CDC uh, guidelines. B, vulnerable employees. Those are the employees who by either the nature of their exposure to high exposed areas or their medical conditions, uh, they may be considered vulnerable and therefore they need to be protected during the time when the herd immunity has not been achieved. And C, repetition of the antibody testing uh, that would allow them to monitor the progression of the prevalence of immune people at workplace. As we are going through the open phase of pandemic, uh, the increased exposure and increased interaction is going to uh, increase both the asymptomatic and uh, symptomatic exposure and therefore the growth of the prevalence needs to be monitored. So an em employer who has gathered this information, therefore, will be equipped, uh, will be empowered uh, to develop the, this evidence-based strategy that would determine, A, uh, what portion of the employees are safe to stay at work and keep the business running, what portion of the employees are vulnerable and uh, they have to stay off work or work from home or other strategies that would uh, reduce their exposure and therefore risks to their health and to the rest of the uh, company. Uh, those who are uh, positive or they do have evidence of the antibody may consider 
donating their serum uh, at several community-based uh, levels. There are clinical trials that use the serum of people who are positive uh, uh, for either prophylactic or therapeutic uh, measures. And the combination of the above would allow uh, the employers to act, again, based on evidence on how to move uh, forward within the next few months uh, during the pandemic. Well, I'm afraid that's all the time we have today. I hope we have provided some useful information to understand the missing piece at this stage of our pandemic. It seems that in order to uh, contain the impact of uh, COVID-19, and be prepared for the next phase of it. We need to have a better understanding of our community's level of immunity against the infection or the prevalence of the disease, especially in view of high number of undocumented infections. That information would allow us to define and be better prepared toward achieving the herd immunity, define our community needs for vaccination, and or prevention of second wave of pandemic, whichever comes first. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Dr. Donish Gary. Until the next time, stay safe and be well. You've been listening to Why Can't We Have It All? The Missing Pieces in Our Healthcare. This podcast is brought to you by Bowtie Medical. Visit us on the web at www.wcwha.com as well as on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and send all your questions and comments to info at wcwha.com. Again, that's info at wcwha.com.